0: They forget that God has cleansed them of their sin. And so, therefore, they are living their life as if that hadn't happened. And uh, we don't want that in our life. I want to be reminded every day that I live that Jesus Christ has washed away my sin. And that I stand before him... By grace alone through what he did for me. So, and then he says, If these, uh, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling or to make your call and election sure, absolutely be certain of your salvation, for if you do these things, that is, these eight qualities, you will not stumble. You won't collapse. You won't fall. And in addition to that, so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, I wonder what that means. An entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, it can probably mean several things, but here's kind of the mental picture that I get. When I die and enter into heaven, I want there to be a huge welcoming party. I want there to be people there who are excited that I've come. And I want there to be an abundant entrance into heaven. Now, you may say, well, that sounds pretty, what, egotistical? I don't mean it that way because I believe that the greater our entrance into heaven, that's the greater glory goes to God. Now, I don't want to get to heaven and I go enter and there's nobody there, you know, and maybe just Jesus, and he says, well, welcome, you know, that'd be nice. You know, it's okay, I guess. I don't want to be just like that. I want there to be a lot of people who say, hey, you had an influence on my life. There was something that you taught or something you said, something you did, and maybe even people I don't even know about. And I want there to be an abundant entrance into heaven for you as well as for me. So it doesn't sound quite as uh, uh, prideful if I'm making it For you as well, right? But I think that's what he's saying here. I think he says, if you want there to be an abundant entrance into heaven, into the kingdom, and you want to not stumble and fall and collapse here in in your Christian life, then he says, it's not enough to just know that you've been saved by grace through faith. God does all that. You have to personally and intentionally add these qualities into your life. That means that it becomes a focus in our daily life. We actually think about it. We say, I want to add this into my life. And the capstone of all of it is love. It's love. And I want to tell you, I've had people say to me, it seemed like, You preach about love too much. Well, I don't think so because I believe that it is the essence of the Christian life. The Bible says God himself is love. And the Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his son. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And I'm going to read you a bunch of other scriptures in a few minutes. I just want you to see that Jesus and Paul and Peter and James and John, everybody made love the central feature. And it is the central feature because Jesus said, this is actually the identifying mark of a Christian. And throughout Christian history, when Christians love sacrificially love God seems to work in a mighty way and if I were to go out here among people in the world who aren't Christians and ask them why they are not Christians many of them would say because of other Christians because of Christians and They don't mean by that because those people go to church on Sunday. That doesn't affect anybody. That doesn't. You could go to church seven times a week and it not have any effect on your neighbors at all. They don't mean because those Christians read their Bibles. No, they don't care how much you read your Bible. Here's what they mean. They mean I have been mistreated by somebody who was a Christian. I have been treated wrong. I have been wounded. I have been hurt, either directly or indirectly. I have watched the lives of professing Christians, and they have not demonstrated love. Now I may mean, not put it in those terms, and I'm telling you, I'm not. This is not hypothetical. I've asked literally hundreds of people about why they have such a negative attitude toward the church. And almost every one of them point to some Christian that was not loving. Some Christian that was selfish, hateful, mean, cruel, and that sticks with them. And so Jesus tells us that love is the essence. He said, I'm going to give you a new command. In fact, let me just go ahead and go to these passages. And and I've already told uh, Brad, I don't think he will be able to keep up with me today because there's so many of them. I'm just going to read them pretty fast. and Maybe I'll bring you a copy of them next week if you'd like to have it. So get ready for some... Scripture references, okay? I'll tell you the reference, but uh, but then I want to read the passage. You just listen attentively. Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Listen, this is the commandment. It's a new commandment. As I... As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. In so many communities, a local church that has allowed selfishness, power struggles, uh, preferential silly stuff to erupt in a church struggle and a church fight has done more damage to the message of the gospel and to the kingdom work of God than all the liquor that's ever been sold and all the other junk that's out there in the world That stuff does not affect people's attitudes toward Christians and toward Christ. But when they see Christians fighting with one another and being petty and selfish and mean-spirited, they don't look at us and say, you're a joke. They look at us and say, he's a joke. And that's that has done more damage. I've been in... The first church that I ever pastored was the fightingest church in the world, I think. They fought about everything. They would think up things to fight about. And they had actually been... They were a group of people that had actually been kicked out of another church because they were such troublemakers. And they got together and formed their own church. And... And... They called me to be their pastor. (laughs) One of my professors at the college where I was said, Let me just tell you something. A man would have to be a fool to go pastor that church. So I figured I qualified. (laughs) And so I I accepted that church. And I tell you, they fought over everything. I remember one time we'd built a new little building and, and. we put a sign out front, and on the sign, it said the friendliest church in town, which just made me laugh. But then in a a deacon's meeting one night, they were trying to decide whether to put lights down on the ground and let it shine up on the church or put lights up on the roof and let it shine down on the sign. That, did I say that right? Y'all knew, knew what I meant. I think I just said it wrong, but you know what I meant. And so one of the men said, well, I think we ought to put them on the ground, let them shine up on the sign. And one of the other deacons just said, well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. That's the way they usually addressed one another. And uh, said, well, kids would be roasting frogs on those signs, and you'd have to mow around them and all this kind of stuff. We ought to put them up on the roof, let them shine down on the sign. And this guy, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard because you have to... If the light went out, you'd have to climb up there and change the light. Somebody fall off, break their back, soothe the church. I thought, man. And they just got to fighting and arguing. And I mean almost to fists. And I finally said, wait a minute. Let's just don't put any lights on the sign. Because the sign is lying anyway. (laughs) And. At least I unified them for a little bit. They all got mad at me then. (laughs) But uh, listen, in the community, go out and try to witness to people, and as soon as I said, I'm from this particular church, everybody in town knew that that was the fighting church. And we had very little significant ministry. Just a few couples that we were able to minister to while I was there, but I just thought even then. And, and by the way, I preached, I preached on love more than any other topic. And they finally fired me. They did, didn't they? Honey? I ain't joking. And uh, and that's the reason they fired me was because They said you just talk about love too much. I even talked about loving people of other colors. And that's really what got me fired. And uh but here's the thing Christians who who are selfish and mean spirited, I don't care how much they witness to other people with their words, the witness of their mean spirited life and selfishness overshouts the message. Of the gospel of the grace of God. Because Jesus said, This is how people are going to know that you belong to me and that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. He said in John 15, 17, These things I command you so that you will love one another. He said, Everything I've told you, All that I command you is for this purpose, so that you will love one another. And then in John 17, 26, Jesus is praying. He said, Father, I have made them to know your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You know what Jesus is praying? He said, Father... And this is in that great high priestly prayer in John 17. Father, the the burden of my heart is that the way you love me, I want them to be full of that love so that they can love one another. And then we'll go to Paul's writing. Look at, and this is not near all of them. I just selected a few, or a bunch, but not near all of them. Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection, and then he says, outdo each other in in giving honor to one another the way the is that the new king James it says in honor giving preference to one another, but the actual verse there means to for each person to try to outdo the other in honoring and loving one another wouldn't it be something if in a church or in a home if the husband was saying i just want i want to love my wife so much and the wife is saying i just want to outdo him in loving him and the husband said no i'm going to outdo her in loving her wouldn't that be a fun kind of competition now, there's a lot of competition that goes on in a lot of marriages, but I'm afraid it's not that competition most of the time. Then Romans 13, 8. no man anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. You know, we all want to be obedient. Everybody says, I want to do everything God says to do. He says, well, I tell you what, let's just boil it down to this. If you love, truly love, then you'll fulfill the law. Romans 13, 9, For all the commandments, all the commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said all the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, and any other commandment, they're all summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13, 10, love does no wrong to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And then in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. Let everything you do be done in love. Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, and by the way, and they were having this big argument in the church again over whether circumcision was required did, did people have to become a Jew did they have to have that physical mark uh, or, or, or could they not could the Jews be could the Gentiles be accepted as well as the Jews and he said look in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith Working through love. That's all that really counts. There's so much stuff. I'm reading a book right now. I was telling my wife about it on the way here called uh, Interpreting the Bible Through Western Eyes. And it's the idea of how they, there's so many different cultural understandings and nuances of so many passages of Scripture. And, but nobody misunderstands love. You know, everybody understands when they're loved. And then in Galatians 5, 13, Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Brethren, we've been called to liberty, but don't, don't use your liberty to sin, but through love serve one another. And then five, Galatians five fourteen For the whole law, is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself it seems like that's pretty important to god and then in galatians 5:22 the very first evidence of the fruit of the spirit is love the fruit of the spirit is love ephesians 3:17 this is a passage that i've been doing my daily devotionals on for the last uh, few days and will for the next few days too so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love. And then Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You know what bearing with one another means? It means putting up with one another. It means... Even when people differ from you, you still love them. And then Ephesians 5, 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us. And then Philippians 1, 9. This is my prayer. Paul says, I, this is what I'm praying for, that your love may abound more and more. And then Philippians 2, 2. Complete my joy. Make me full of joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Paul says, you want to really make me happy, then you love each other. And then Colossians 3:14, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's the verse I was referring to earlier. Then in 1st Thessalonians 3:12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. Now, concerning brotherly love, I have no need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And then 1 Timothy 1, 5. The aim of our charge, that is the purpose, the direction, the, the goal of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. He said, that's, that's, that's the end goal of everything that I'm doing. And then in 1 Timothy 6, 11, Paul, uh, Paul says to Timothy, For you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue. And in the list is right in the middle is love. Pursue love. 2 Timothy 1, 7, a verse we're all familiar with. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Then in Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. A lot of times we do stir one another up, don't we? But not always is it stirring people up to love. He says, consider one another how we can actually do things that will stir up love in other people. How can I encourage you to love somebody and for us to love one another? And then, uh, of course, Hebrews 13, uh, 1, let brotherly love continue. Let it just go on and on and on. And then James James says in James 2.8, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You'll do well. And then Peter, Peter says in chapter 1, I mean, 1 Peter 1.22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then in 4.8, he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins i could preach on that one and then first john 3:11 this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another it's not something new this is what we've been saying from the very beginning first john 3:14 we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. How do we know we're really saved? Well, we know we we've passed from death to life because we love one another. Then in first John three eighteen, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, love is not something we say, it's something we show, something we do. First John three twenty three, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he gave us commandment. This is, you say, well, I, I, I think it's right for us to believe in Jesus. Yeah, well, he says, this is the commandment, that we believe in Jesus and love one another. They go together. And then 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And then 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. You've never seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us in his love is perfected in us. We love because he first loved us, 1 John four nineteen, And then verse 20, if anyone says, I love God, but he hates his brother, he's a liar. And then verse 21, in this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What's the point you think I'm trying to get across today? Anybody got the idea? Yeah, that we're to love. We're to love. Now, I guess uh, we could say, well, what does that mean? What is love? How do you know if you're loving somebody or not? Well, what is the opposite of love? It's not hate. A lot of people say, well, the opposite of love is hate. No, the opposite of agape love, God's kind of love, is love. Self-centeredness, selfishness. That's the opposite of love. Because love is defined biblically in giving and in in serving and in seeing the needs of other people. That's what love is. How do I know if I love my wife? I say, well, I love her because she, she makes me happy. Oh, what's wrong with that? That's loving me. You see, a lot of times when I'm doing marriage, premarital counseling with couples, I'll say, I want you to tell me <coughs> how you know you love this other person. And about half of them or more give a list of what that person does for them. I read the list. I say, well, it sounds like it sounds like you're loving yourself. How do you know you love her? Here's... It's very important. Love asks basically three questions. Love asks, what do you need? What do you need? Love asks, secondly, how can I help? How can I help you? And the third question, what can I give to you to meet your need? See, love is about giving. It's about It's about understanding needs and giving to meet that need. It's about desiring for the other person to have what they need. That's how God loves us. Love is joyfully and lavishly giving to meet the needs of another person no matter what the cost without demanding anything. In return. That's my definition of love. And so if you want to know. Do I love other people? You ask this question. How determined am I? And how uh, practically am I? Trying to understand their need. And give whatever I have to to meet that need. That's what love does. Love is not just a, a warm feeling. As a matter of fact, you can feel pretty stinky and still love. A husband can be pretty irritated and and, and frustrated and all that kind of stuff, and he has to deal with that between him and God, but then if he withholds what his wife needs he's not loving his wife like Christ loved the church and in a church if we're not loving one another with this idea of i want to i want to kind of study and see what does this person need do they need encouragement and i want to give them encouragement Do they need uh, maybe even uh, a a stern word of caution? That can also be love because there are times I've needed that and I've had it lovingly given to me. But love gives. Love serves. Love forgives. And, of course, the greatest passage on love is where? 1 Corinthians 13. And listen to this, and then I'm finished this morning. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and this may be, since he's been talking there about speaking in tongues, he might be having reference to uh, glossolalia or speaking in tongues, or it may be he's talking about if I speak with Great gifted speaking, so much that it's like an angel talking, but I don't have love. And he said, I, I've become a, a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I've become like a silverware drawer that drops on the floor. <laughs> it's meaningless. And if I have the gift of prophecy, And I understand all mysteries. I'm really so smart, you know. I I could write books on uh, all the mysteries. And I have all knowledge. I've been to seminary. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I don't have love. Just nothing. It's meaningless. And if I give away all my goods... To feed the poor. And I even give my body to be burned. I become a martyr. And I don't have love. It profits me nothing. Did you know it's possible to be a great teacher and speaker? It's possible to be a a very intelligent, intellectual, knowledgeable person. It's possible to even be a martyr. And not have love. So, well, well, how do I know if I have love? Well, the next few verses tell us what love looks like. Of course, it's a description of Jesus, but it's also a description of us. Love is patient. Love is patient. And by the way, there's two words in the Greek for patience. One of them is to be patient in a hard spot, you know, to, to remain under a... Uh, A heavy load. But then the other word is the word that means to be patient with people. Which one do you think is used here? (laughs) It's the one to be patient with people. Love is patient. It's not pushy. It doesn't get exasperated because somebody's not growing as fast as you'd like for them to. Love is patient, and, and it's kind. I said, well, I don't know how to define kind. I said, well, I bet you know how to define unkind, though, don't you? Yeah, everybody knows what it feels like when somebody's unkind. Well, love is kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself around. It's not strutting around. It's not puffed up. It is full of itself. Love does not behave rudely. It's not selfish. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It's not easily provoked. In other words, it can take insults and say, hey, it's all right, no big deal. But it, And it doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in truth. It bears all things. You just can't break it down. It bears all things. It believes all things. It, it believes the best. It tries to tries to believe the best about people. And it hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. It never ends. That word fails there actually means end. It doesn't stop. I... I know there are people who say to me, well, I used to love so-and-so. I don't love them anymore. I say, well, I, we fell out of love. I don't even know what falling in love means. Well, you fall in love? You fall in ditches. I've done that a few times. But to fall in love, and I, I'm not, you know, if, somebody, if one of you say that to me, I'm not going to try to correct you. I know what you mean when you say fall in love. But look, Love is not something you fall in and fall out. Love is something that you purposely do. And you say, well, I, I can love people that love me. Well, Jesus said, look, if you love those that love you, how are you any different from Jesse and Frank James or anybody else? Yeah, somebody of you might not know who Jesse and Frank James are, but they were outlaws. I mean, even outlaws... Are good to people that are good to them, usually. But he said, if you love those that don't love you, then you're behaving like your Father in heaven. So love is not conditional. Love is not based on what you do for me. It's based on what I purpose in my heart by the grace of God to do because that's the way God has loved me. Husbands, Husbands, love your wife. That's not just a good idea. It's not even just a Bible verse. It is a direct commandment. Love your wife like Christ loved the church with this kind of love. Not selfish, not rude, not envious, not demanding its own way. And wives, the Bible says, let the older women in the church teach the younger women how to love their husbands. Wives, love your husband. Outdo one another in saying, what do you need? How can I help? What can I give? You say, yeah, but, I, you know, if I do that, he's going to think it doesn't matter what he thinks. Tell you the honest truth, what he's going to think is wow and and with one another love one another and I said it last week I'll say it again in many ways I think this is the most loving church that I've ever that I've ever pastored now I say that and then next week we may have a big fight I don't know but uh but I don't think so. I mean, really, I see evidences of genuine love in this fellowship. But I, like the Apostle Paul, I want to pray that our love might abound even more and more. I want when people come into this place as a visitor, as a guest, I don't want them to be impressed with our music although our music is great I don't want them to be impressed with the preaching I don't want them to be impressed with the facilities I want them to go away and say boy those folks love people there Dwight L. Moody pastored a church in Chicago and there was a little boy that walked four miles every Sunday to come to Moody's church And somebody asked him one day, said, you know, you passed 20 other churches on your way here. Why do you come to this church? He said, because at this church, they love a guy here. They love a guy here. And I want to tell you, that's what I want to see more than anything else. I want to see passionate, genuine heartfelt sacrificial love because if we express it here I think we'll express it at home and our homes will be stronger and we'll express it in our community and our witness will be stronger and we'll express it even to our enemies and God's power will be manifest Well, let's pray Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Greater than we can even imagine. Greater than we can comprehend. And yet, to the degree that we grasp it, it just causes us to be overwhelmed in worship and humility. To think that you would love us while we were yet sinners even enemies and you loved us so much that you gave yourself for us and I pray that that love will fill our hearts to such overflow that it will gush out of our lives as love to one another and I pray it in Jesus name amen